Welcome back to this week's episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. Today, I am joined by the 2020 Defensive Player of the Year, Whipsnakes, Matt Dunn. Dunn and I chatted basketball and its crossover into lacrosse, his development into a chameleon all-around defender, and the mentality behind the Whipsnakes' defensive approach. Enjoy this week's episode of Unbuckled with the top defender in the game, Matt Dunn. So you're in, uh, you're in Baltimore, right? I'm in Baltimore, yep. Yeah. Um, what's going on? What's, uh, what's the update? How are things going? It's cold, man. It's freaking cold right now. It's cold? Yeah, it's freezing, dude. What's, what's, I wish yeah. I was in San Diego. Nah, dude, it's, it's cold here too, low-key. Yeah, what, like 55? Yeah, bro. It dropped a little, <laughs> dude, it's like it? 20. I mean, <laughs> it's like 20 and, and windy as hell out right now. Um, it's good, though. You know, that just came in. I think we're going to get some snow this weekend. Um, but it actually hasn't been so bad for the winter. What's the, that look uh, like for uh, for training right now for you? I got – it's, you know, it's um, – I got indoor spot rented two days a week. So that's where I do the vast majority of my, my things right now. I got three – three groups um and i kind of have a lot kind of funnel a lot of people into those as those are indoor which is nice um and then i have like a couple little ones that for like a week like this i'll i'll cancel or push for the like the really cold and snowy days um but then high school is actually starting up so i'm coaching at loyola and um we have like all season workouts so we have a practice tomorrow um outside for an hour which be cold but be good to get back out on the field with those guys and, and how about more personally, are you able to kind of facilitate your workouts? Obviously the cold weather, um, but yeah. are, are you able to get in the gym right now? Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately I am. Um, I've been going to us lacrosse. Um, Jay Dyer's got a set up there and been able to go there. I was over there in the summer getting ready for PLL stuff. Um, and I go there three mornings a week and just um, we'll, we'll lift and stuff there. And then I go hit a turf field Um two days a week, started doing that recently. So trying to get back in, in moving cardio shape, which I have not been doing for the last couple of months, but been doing that two days a week. Um, so that's, you know, it's cold, but you wear gloves, wear a hat, you put on the hoodie, you're fine. Yeah, no, the uh, getting back into the, just when you're not thinking about it, when you're working out, not in the gym, but just on the field, like I'm just going to run and whatever happens, happens. Like that's the, you know, that's the worst part for me. Like I love going to the gym and, you know, doing the single leg explosive stuff and box jumps and all that shit. But then when it's like, all right, now I actually have to just run and like get tired. Like I'm just like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's what we've been trying to, I, I've been going with my, my, um, my old, old friend, Nick Mann, who I play with at Maryland. He played in the MLL and we, we used to train a lot together. Um, we just started again. And so we kind of been like, formulating using some guys we've worked with help formulate a plan for it so at least go in with like uh all right here's like our warm-up here's this so we have like things to do so we don't just get to the field and be like all right let's do this and uh we're good <laughs> yeah then you end up wasting like an hour and a half doing too much bullshit in between um yeah you can nice, go ahead, go ahead. The, the nice thing is um well not nice but you know i don't know that the indoor season is gonna start up as early as it ha as it does as we thought it might have and maybe it won't happen um so not the nice thing but that gives me a little more runway for when i need to be in like playing shape i started yeah. to think of like if indoor starts in march or april i was like it's already february i gotta start ramping these up um, yeah. so we're kind of gra gradually just like feel pretty comfortable gradually ramping it up here which is 
a little, you know, peaceful for the mind. It is weird dynamic though. Like obviously, you know, you've been playing indoor for a couple of seasons now, but you're actually been suiting up and, and kind of getting games in for myself. I've been trying to like crack that roster. I was in San Diego trying to play in New England this, this season, but with how things are shaping out, it definitely sets us up in a different way heading into PLL season because you get those those opportunities to train and just kind of sweat and, and play in a real game. Like that's cardio and live reps that, you know, we miss those. Now you have to kind of reconfigure how you're thinking about training. Like you're yeah. saying that the time leading up and then also actually just, you know, saying, fuck it, I'm just going to go hard for this extended period of time. Like I'm going to practice, like I'm in a game. Cause you can't replicate that just in the gym, you know, when you're lifting. Yeah. The, I thought a lot about that. Um, the interesting thing for me about the indoor stuff, like for, for looking to prep for a season while you're in another season uh, is really, it, it's a little interesting, especially for me as a defender, because in my mind, um, if you play offense, like the similarities are very similar from indoor to field, just like you're using the same stick. First of mm -hmm. all, you're using similar skills. Like you're really getting a ton of reps with your stick. You're still attacking a goal, pretty similar, like pick play head up, see options a little tighter, different, but same mindset defensively in indoor, the footwork's pretty different. The strategy is actually pretty different. And you're using a short stick. The, the rules, what you're allowed to do is different. That's the same both ways. So, there's this a little bit of a disconnect there on how you would the skills you're using. However, you are getting to your point, you're getting full physical game speed reps, that level of competing intelligence that you can't replicate on your own. Um, you're getting the communication, just the game environment. So there's definitely certain things I think prep you better, but there's certain things also where I was like, I can't train, I can't go on the field and train my field defensive footwork as much as I would or lift as much as I would otherwise, because I got to prep for, get my body ready for a yeah. game every week. So I think there's a trade-off there. I, I think there's benefits to it, but I also think in a certain sense, if you're in full off season mode, you can kind of train more specifically for that season. When, uh, you, have you scored a goal in the PL yet? Not the PLL, no. All right. Well, when is that? When is all that box training going to pay off? When we're going to see the first one down goal? I, I had, I had a, a couple in the MLL, um, and then I think everybody scouted me after that year, 2018. I had had a couple goals, and then I think teams are watching out for me, like don't let me shoot, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, follow Big Mike's lead. He's uh, no, no. He's Actually, that is that is the point. I was kidding about the don't let me shoot. I think most teams would be pretty okay with that. Um, but I think my role on the team is really like I've shot once maybe because we have a guy like Mike who you don't need two or three poles running down in transition. Like, yeah. and, and I'm okay with letting big Mike go push the transition because he, he does it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for the most part, I don't run across midfield that much, or if I do like probably better idea for me to get the ball to Matt Rambo than for me to, you know, force a shot in transition. Yeah, now you know your role. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I know you mentioned a little bit about the basketball. You were a Hooper growing up, uh, Loyola Blakefield. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you to kind of be able to play competitive high school basketball and then how that was able to impact your career on the lacrosse field and, and heading into Maryland? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was, um, I love basketball. I still love it. It's, it's a great sport. Um, I actually grew up, basketball is my favorite sport until probably, you know, seventh or eighth grade. Um, when I started to realize the writing was on the wall a little that I probably wasn't going to the NBA. Um, and so once that realization hit, it hurt for a little bit, but then lacrosse kind of started to fill that role. Mm -hmm. um, I loved basketball. That was fun. Uh, defensively, there's so many things that carry over. 
from basketball to lacrosse. And quite frankly, at that point in my life, I didn't have lacrosse landscape is different now. I didn't have a lot of like detailed skill instruction defensively. Um, and so I, you know, technique wise with a stick on the field, I didn't, we got some of it, but I didn't get a lot of detailed work, but in basketball, because all five players on the court play both offense and defense coaches, when you go to basketball camp and you're younger, when you go to your trials, like you do offensive drills, but then you do defensive drills. And so I was doing defensive drills for basketball my whole life. Um, and a lot of them carry over. So learning how to, you know, play a passing lane, learning how to be two passes away and get ready to rotate, being on the ball, learning how to drop step and, you know, take an angle to close a gap and get your hips around on a guy. Um, all that stuff, it really like paid off a lot. And by the time I was in high school, um, I wasn't at that point, like a super skilled basketball player compared to like what guys that wanted to go play in college at. Cause I focused yeah. more on my skill work on lacrosse. Um, so I, you know, I was more of like a little bit, you know, shoot, drive a little bit, let other guys do more of that. And I took charges, got rebounds and played defense. Um, but I actually loved defensive drills and basketball. My favorite part of practice. Cause I felt like I was training for lacrosse. Uh, I felt like those drills were like opportunities for me to practice my defensive footwork. And uh, I really felt like that natural instinct I developed in basketball translated to a lot of my foundation and natural instinct as a lacrosse player. And then getting to college, I relied on that instinct. Um, but then I got the luxury of having a good coach and guys that teach me actually defensive footwork lacrosse specifically, um, which there were some tweaks and changes that took a while to used to, but it was all built off the foundation and concepts and the feel that I felt like I got from basketball. Mm -hmm. um, so so I, I think that natural feel really gave me a foundation to develop more lacrosse specific footwork and skills. And you talk a little bit about kind of the defensive side and, and some of the stuff you worked on in practice. I want to know your thoughts on kind of two things with basketball. These are some of, you know, there's a million things you could take away, but I think two of the most impactful things for me, I had a lot of coaches that were really detail oriented in, in basketball and were very much in your face about competing consistently, um, which in lacrosse, like not to say that you're not competing consistently, but you can, you can take plays off, um, especially depending on what level you're playing at. Obviously, in the PLL, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to take plays off. But if you're an off-ball attackman, right, like you can kind of move through the crease and, you know, watch guys dodge a little bit and not ever touch the rock. Um, where in basketball, like someone's consistently running you, you know, around the perimeter. Someone consistently gets the ball and is challenging you one-on-one. -on -one. You know, you have to box your guy out to get rebounds. Um, I want to know your thoughts on kind of the com competition side in mm -hmm. basketball compared to lacrosse um, and then the details that you're kind of fine tuning because, you know, the opportunities you have, um, you know, like I said, they're so in your face, right? Like you talk about defensively, you know, you're out there on an Island to be able to have your hand in front of him, to be able to understand how to drop step and crossover. Um, mm -hmm. And then the flip side offensive as well. Um, and I know you talk a lot about that, you know, as a, a teacher and a coach now, um, those details and how important they are. So I yeah. want to get your thoughts on kind of both those things um, relevant to basketball. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. The uh, the basketball thing is kind of like box lacrosse, where you're you're right in field lacrosse. You 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 can kind of hide at times. Um, you can't hide in box lacrosse. You can't hide in basketball. If you're on the floor, if you're one of those five guys on the floor um, or on the court, you're involved in the play. It's a tight space. There's not a lot of guys. Like everybody's a threat on defense. Everybody's positioning matters. It's just tight. It sometimes on the cross like 
you space out, you can like, get nice and wide. You let other guys do some work. One guy runs fast. One, one or two guys might be involved in that possession. Um, I, at higher levels, that doesn't really happen, but it, it can happen, especially at younger levels. So you have to basically develop all those skills and be a part of the play, not be afraid to get the ball and have it. If you're clearing the ball as a defenseman in field, you can kind of like give it to the goalie and, and run off the field, or, you know, just stay low and yeah. try to just make the simple pass. But basketball, you got to be able to handle it to a certain extent. You got to be able to box out. You got to be able to rotate. You got to be able, if you have a shot that you should hit, you got to be able to shoot it and hit it. Um, so you can't hide on the floor. You have to play your role. I think the attention to detail piece is interesting. I agree. I think the sport like basketball that just has a wider foundation where there's a higher ceiling right now for the athlete that you can go to division one means a little more because you can get a full scholarship yeah. and you can go play in the NBA where there's a lot of money, there's a lot of opportunity. So I think a sport like that, where the ceiling is so much higher, it drills down to every level being a little more competitive. Um, I think lacrosse is hopefully trending that way. I, I think it is. I think the PLL has done a great job of, you know, lifting that ceiling a little and hopefully it keeps going up. So it becomes more attractive for players to want to be a great lacrosse player. Um, but when that happens in a sport, it, it people are going to be more competitive and desire more to be better at it because the reward is greater and more people are playing. And so when you go to these camps, you're playing for a team or you go to these showcase type things, you play AU ball um, and the competition is higher. The details really start to matter more. If you want yeah. to be a really good basketball player, you have to train on your own. You have to focus on the details. You have to focus on the skills. Um, and I remember growing up, like I would watch, uh, I would watch like a documentary or something or hear a story about like how an NBA player, so-and-so, somebody might even been like a, a, just a story told, like you went to a camp and somebody was like, you know, Jason Williams lived on a farm and he wore gardening gloves and dribbled two <laughs> basketballs with ankle weights around his wrist, right? I'm dead serious. Like I yes. forget where I heard, I forget where no, I heard that, but, but I swear, <laughs> Somewhere I might have seen it on the video. This I don't think YouTube was around. I don't think uh, so. I don't know where I got it. I went to a camp yeah. probably. And somebody told me said Jason Williams lived on a farm and wore gardening gloves and put ankle weights around his wrist and would go dribble two basketballs at the same time. And that's how his ball handling skills got so great. So I'm 11 and I'm like, all right, you go in the garage. I find gardening gloves. <laughs> I I remember being on my driveway dribbling two basketballs with ankle weights around my wrist and gardening gloves on just like let me know a kid but um that was like really specific skill development and granted it's a little like bootstrapped but when you hear these stories about these guys that got really good not by going and playing a million games not by being on a certain like club or aau team not by any of that but they became obsessed with skill development and they found ways to isolate the skills that were important them and get creative and practice them um and, and basketball itself as a structure has developed those skills into camps and gives people specific drills to isolate the skills, not just go out. And and I think there's some criticism in AAU ball now. There's a lot of game play and less skill development. Um, but basketball has a foundation where they have all these drills. And like if you play for a good coach, like th they focus on fundamentals all day at the highest levels because the fundamentals done really well get the job done. And you base to do anything cool, your base has to start in fundamentals. Um, and I think that approach to lacrosse is so similar. Um, you know, you can't you can't just not have good shooting form and start flinging it from your hip low to high. Like you have to have basic mechanics before you start tweaking things, right? If you don't have the ability 
to play an angle well and have the right footwork to drop step and change direction. You, you can't just go start being this takeaway guy because you're never going to be close enough or balanced enough to throw the checks. Mm -hmm. um, so any type of cool thing guys want to get to starts by mastering really base level fundamentals. Um, I know that was a little tangent there, but I think it was cool to see basketball has more of that deeper, more historic foundation where yeah. they kind of preach and teach that. And you hear about guys get real successful through that. I'm sure there's stories like it in lacrosse. I just, um, I think the, like the, you know, you hear stories about the pals and things like that and messing around their backyard and, and have great sticks because they did all that stuff. And like, you see the Thompsons and Lyle throw, throw off the wooden board with the hole in it where they're just working on their stick skills all the time. So there's cool skills like that, that allow those guys to do the crazy cool things they do. You, the point about the Jason Williams thing, I remember, which is hilarious because I actually haven't talked to anyone in lacrosse about this before, but there used to be a, um, a document, not a documentary, but I guess an ongoing docu-series about uh, football and basketball players across the country. It was like on ABC on like Saturdays, my dad would like record them consistently. And he'd like be like, yo, did you watch it this week? Did you watch this week? And it would be these high school athletes just doing crazy shit just like that that I'm like, ten, like eight, nine, 10 and seeing these guys that are like 16, 17 out on these farms and like out in the middle of nowhere, just doing ridiculous shit, hill sprints, waking up at four o'clock in the morning, just random stuff. Um, and it really does like, to your point, kind of make you as a young player think in, in terms of the sphere of basketball, like, okay, this is what I got to be doing. Like there's gotta be some outlandish shit that I have to be doing to be doing to be able to compete. Cause this is what these guys are doing. Um, and it kind of just stirs you on this path, which is, is crazy and it's great. Um, and I think that that's something where like the small things like that, people don't think about with playing other sports. Um, but it really makes it so, you know, for me, it was more co competitive than lacrosse, um, in a lot of ways because of that. And at the same time, like I would show up to lacrosse practice and my mindset would, would honestly be like guys out here are not even close to, you know, the competition level that I'm seeing in basketball practice. So I come off a season, right. Where yeah. everyone's dialed into the details, everyone's following and seeing these stuff all around the country. And these kind of, um, you know, Jason Williams, the, the show that I'm talking about, that I can't remember the name. And so we'd be locked in and be doing all this crazy stuff and I'd be so competitive. And then I get to lacrosse and I'm like, what is going on? And I just feel like I was up here coming off basketball practice and everyone else was down here. And that's why I think, you know, people have to play multiple sports because they, they're able to see that, um, and take those, those instances and those lessons, um, to the, to the next game, to the game of lacrosse. But how, how are you able to, you know, taking that mindset and how you're able to kind of facilitate, you know, the training side of it, how are you able to take that to Maryland, um, and kind of go through this process of a guy that, you know, we've talked about this before where you felt like you stepped on the campus and you weren't even going to play to now ending up, you know, being one of the best, if not the best defender in the game right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Right. And it's, it's my journey is definitely be, like been one of development and still is hopefully like, yeah, I don't, in my mind, think I'm at the best version of my playing ability yet. Maybe I am, maybe I've passed it. I don't know, but my mindset is that I'm not yet. And I, there's still things I want to get better at and continue to make sure don't decline. I think where I came into Maryland was very raw from a lacrosse standpoint. Um, I had good coaching, good skill sets at, you know, from high school. I, I played, you know, at an MIA school that had great program, great coaching, but compared to what was at Maryland, it, it wasn't, there's definitely a, a big level 
gap. And I wasn't this top recruit out of high school. Um, I, I got recruited, but I wasn't one of those guys that was like expected to come to make an impact. I was kind of like, my mindset was if I could get recruited there, if I get a foot in the door, if I could get a man down spot, like that would be awesome. I don't, um, that type of thing. And like, if I can make it work, great. Um, but what I remember to your point, I walked in the first day of practice in the fall, we had a red white scrimmage. And I just, I vividly remember, um, watching Michael Earhart and Jesse Bernhardt move around the field. And there was a couple plays where like, there was like a ground ball scrum and you, you see Mike do this now, like the PLO where like, there's like six guys chasing the ball and he's like hockeying it down the field and like picks it up in full stride and makes like a, a 30 yard pass on the run, right on the stick to a guy. And like, and the battles of like, of Jesse just like tearing up the middle of the field. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I, like, I've never seen anything like it's the speed they play that. The, the speed they played at, the intensity they brought to a practice, like the standard they were held to, just the compete level. Um, and I was for, for I looked, like, I remember leaving that day and I was like, how am I going to play here? Now, granted, like I, my impression was that was like every single player in college lacrosse. They were both like the best of the best at that point. But like, I was like, this is division one lacrosse here. Um, and Jesse, you know, was like a tour time finalist that year, I think. And Mike was an all American. So they were real, like, they were really excellent. But in my mind, I was like, if I'm going to play here, my standard of what I need to be has to elevate, you know, there was a sense of urgency because I wanted to play, but there is now an urgency of how do I figure out how to find my role in a team like this when those guys are so much better than me. Um, no, and in doing that, right, that kind of that process for you, you were actually able to play multiple roles um, throughout your career at Maryland. So, you know, some guys come in, they're immediately, you know, they're a coveted recruit, pegged into this hole, uh, you're going to be the top cover guy, you're going to do this, right? Depends on the university you go to. But, you know, I think at Maryland, um, and you see this with the Whipsnakes team, your, your guys' defensive unit, you all have the ability to play multiple roles and, and really be chameleons. Um, I feel like because of that process that you went through, right, where you have the older guys that you're seeing do these things um, and you're, you know, you come to a team like that where, you know, maybe you're the guy on the bench and then you get to play man down a little bit. Right. And then at the end, by the end of the season, maybe you're getting some minutes as a third defenseman something in and then sophomore, you come, come back. And right now you're the number two um, and you're kind of going through this process. I had a similar experience where I got to Rutgers, you know, I, I felt like I was one of the better recruits in the class, um, but I wasn't the player in a high school um, immediately that I was when I stepped onto campus at Rutgers, right? I was a ball carrier in high school, you know, one of the lead guys on offense, I get there, you already have one of those guys and it's like, okay, now how can you play off of him and learn from him? But that gives you the opportunity to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to be an off ball guy um, and really learn the off ball game. And now when you become a number one, um, you become the main ball carrier. If you don't have the ball on your stick, well, you have the ability to, you know, again, be a chameleon and play multiple spots in the field. I feel like we both had a similar process with that, um, now, how is that, you know, can you talk about how that's been able to impact the whip snakes defense now, because now all you guys are together at the same time, all kind of going through that process, having gone through that yeah, process. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really interesting point. And, um, I felt that was really valuable and I, and to what you just said, I think we all kind of Tim Bryce and I, um, all kind of went through that transition. And, and like when I came in my freshman year, I was lucky enough to play, but I didn't start. I was the fourth defenseman in, but we didn't have a backup LSM. So we bumped Casey Iketa up to LSM when Jesse got tired and I came in and played 
um, close. And we had Michael Earhart and Gordon Murray down at close, who Gordon was a lockdown cover guy, and Michael could play the ball well um, and could, you know, push transition. What a great stick. And so I kind of always covered the off ball guy. So it was my role if I was going to play, it was, hey, you got to, you know, understand what's going on. You have to communicate. You have to knock it back, cut, and, and be locked down off ball and help everybody else and know when to slide. And so as a freshman, I, that was my role. I rarely covered, I rarely got dodged. Occasionally I did, um, but that was my role. Sophomore year, now Michael's bumped up to LSM. Uh, Goran's still there. It's Goran Casey and I. Goran's covering most of the Dodgers. I'm probably taking most of the number two, so I'm getting dodged a little bit, but still it depends. Like I would cover bigger, stronger Dodgers. Goran would take quicker guys. Sometimes I was off ball, so it's still a little bit of both. And then my junior year, um, when Goran was no longer playing, um, it was kind of like nobody thought I could be or I was cut out to cover the quick guys. And quite frank, quite <laughs> frankly, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I am either. <laughs> like, I'm, this, I'm this bigger dude. Like I was just a bigger, rangier guy. Did well off ball in space and could cover bigger guys. Um, and so I worked a ton on my footwork and, uh, you know, ended up working out. I remember I think the first time was like covered really quick guy. I was like covered Joey Sankey. And I think all our coaches were a little nervous for that one. I think half our team was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And I was kind of like, God, this could be bad. And, you know, I ended up working out okay. Um, as I got caught, definitely struggled with some guys, but as I got confident there, built that into it. And then down the line, like Tim Muller had a similar experience where as I was covering number ones, Tim was playing some, um, some LSM and kind of cover, actually playing some LSM and then a little bit of close. And then he started to, pick up and started taking number one matchups where I think he could tell you the same thing where he was like, Tim was never a guy that was considered quicker. had great feet, but he developed really good footwork and understanding how to cover the ball as he was put into that role. And then Bryce was playing LSM and kind of playing the second guy to Tim for a little while. And then Tim graduates. Now Bryce is covering the number one guy. Mm -hmm. um, so they all, we all played like different roles. And I think that allowed us to, I never played LSM, but Tim and Bryce did. So they're very, they had developed that versatility, but they all learned the off ball to on ball role. And I think to answer your point, like now that when we play professionally now, um, there's so many different attack lines in the league and so many different types of players that there's some teams have guys that could be ball carry number one Dodgers, but aren't because that's not the role for them. So they play more off ball, but if they have a guy that think they could take, they could pop out and take them. Yeah. Um, sometimes you switch matchups sometimes, Hey, they got two Dodgers. One's a big, strong Canadian lefty and one's a little quick shifty split guy. Like, well, either of us can kind of cover either of them, or maybe it just makes more sense for one on the other. Um, and any of the third guy can take the off ball roll inside, which allows us to be a little more versatile in our matchups. Um, if some guy just play, sometimes a guy just plays a guy better for no reason at all. I and mean, the fact that hey, I've covered that guy 10 times and I play him pretty well, like, okay, that's fine. I'll put, I'll play off ball this game um, or like vice versa. And it just allows us to feel really comfortable um, in all different spots versus like, crap like they don't really have a pure ball carrier and we have a we have a really good on ball defender who always gets a lost off ball it's going to be a huge liability when we play the archers and and will man he's popping all over the place and marcus holman's you know here and we got these feeders all over the place and we like a game like that versus a game where you're covering guys where you're getting you know dodgers against you all the time it's nice to feel comfortable in both those scenarios which i think has been because we were kind of forced to play multiple roles and and learn how to be that chameleon and fit in where we were needed What's that conversation look like? Is it, you know, kind of a hotel room? Hey, we're playing this team today. Like 
Hey, I played that guy before. I got him today. Um, we're hey, off ball. Um, you know, that guy's really good. You know, Tim, I know you're a little bit better off ball. Can you handle that? Um, what's that conversation look like? And, and talk a little bit about the advantage you guys have, right? As guys that I feel like all um, really don't have an ego on the defensive side of the ball and are able to kind of just, you know, be honest about what's going on on game day for that, you know, specific matchup. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's casual. It's great to your point. It, it works well because it's pretty open. Um, we are we get input from you know Coach Murphy and Coach Stags to give us thoughts. The great thing about them is like they'll usually put they'll be like, hey, we think here's how we should line up, and they'll be like, what do you guys think? Um, and it'll be like usually the answer from all of us is like that works. Like unless there's a reason to, or sometimes it'll be like, you know, like Bryce, do you, do you, would you rather cover so and so? And he says, yeah, like he's, you know, Bryce is a lefty. And sometimes as you think about things like that, sometimes he feels more comfortable going against like a lefty or it, you know, it depends on the guy, but usually we, we get, usually it starts like we have an idea of how it's going to go. Coaches say, here's how we're thinking. We're like, either we agree, agree or like, or we don't. And here's why um, we've never had an issue assigning matchups and we've switched we've we've been on the field and after like three possessions like been like you guys want to switch this up and it's like yeah this, <laughs> like we've done that before like in the middle like yeah. without even telling and they don't care uh our coaches don't care they trust us so um it's very flexible and we're we try to maintain that like it doesn't matter who covers who because we're all pretty comfortable and we all help each other out like there if we're getting posted up like we'll go double and we'll have each other's back and oh i know um i know yeah and so it's like it's <laughs> we try to we try to make it i guess as little like it matters who i cover as much as let's just play good defense and we all can cover let's just figure out the way we're almost comfortable with it yeah i mean i don't have much to say about that other than yeah, I'll keep that to myself for you guys on defense. I hate it. Um, but when, because I feel like the conversation you ha you're having with yourself compared to when you were 18, walking into Maryland locker room and, and kind of questioning whether or not you can play to, you know, now in 2021 is a lot different. When did that mentally, when did you mentally have a shift, um, you know, to start to have yeah. a more positive conversation? And what's that that process been like for you? I will say, um, going back, I know I made it sound a certain way. It was not, a, it, it wasn't a conversation of doubt in myself back then as much as it was like a urgency that I need to get better. I, I, I never really, at times I struggled with it, but there was always a little bit of light that I thought I, I could play, but I just knew that work had to be done. Yeah. Um, I'd say my sophomore year, in college, um, I could feel the shift of my comfort level on the field. And I started taking some dodging, some bigger matchups. I think one, a big one was when we played UVA, I covered Cockerton, who was like the, might've been the leading scorer in the NCAA at that point. And I was a little, a little, you know, like you should, sure. Cause usually like Goring covers the, the dodging attack. I mean, Cochran wasn't your typical X attack, but he was just a good yeah. scorer. And our coaches, our coaches thought um, I would match up well with him because I played lefties well. And he was an off ball guy too, and on ball. Um, and I covered him and we won that game and he didn't score. And I think that was the first game he didn't score in, in a while. Um, so I think I saw some confidence from my coaches there, which, which felt made me feel good. Um, and then probably by the time, you know, my junior year, I felt like I was 
playing on the ball at a pretty high level. And by the time, like I got to spring halfway through my junior season, I felt um, I was feeling pretty good about my ability to, to play. Um, and, and say the conversation switched. I, I don't think it ever, it's never fully turned on to, um, there's always that part of me that's, I think people say things like, you know, when you get in, in a, the, the award thing doesn't mean that much to me. And people say like, oh, like the best, you won the defense of the year. So that means like you're the best defenseman in the world. Um, and I don't feel that way at all because I know how the award process goes and I, and I understand they have to pick somebody, but I know it could have gone to other guys. I know like that doesn't mean I'm not going to show up this year and not get dusted by every attack that I go against because the guys are that good and everybody can beat you. And every there's so many defenders in our league that are so good and can have great years that I just don't look at it that way. So I think to hedge both sides of that question, it's I never fully was like, thought I was this awful player that could never make it. But I, I also, I've never gotten to a point where um, I feel like I've reached this level of like ultimate completion in my game and I'm better than other people. Cause although sometimes you get recognition for certain things, it doesn't change the, the fundamental fact that what like it's cliche, but what you did last year does not matter. What you did last mm -hmm. play doesn't matter. The dudes, the dude that's going against me is still going to go against me. If I don't take the right steps and drive them out at the right time and use my stick well and, and stick to all the things that have allowed me to have some success in the past, I'm not going to be good. Yeah. Um, and I know the margin of error that's, is that small. So. Um, it, I mean, I think the kind of just the biggest thing, that you're really saying is the consistency piece, right? Just showing up. It doesn't matter what you hear, um, you know, in terms of your press clippings, awards, doesn't matter what happened last game, but the ability to just know you have a job to do, you have the ability to work to improve on that job consistently, but then you also have to show up and prove, right, that the work you're doing is paying off um, and that you are the player um, that you were last time and the player that you have a reputation for because that is ultimately your job. Um, and I think for me, when I realized that, right, part of it, you know, again, kind of a process through college, you know, you, you're kind of going up and down, a lot of different stuff changes your role. But when I realized the most important thing was the fact that every single week, you have to figure out a way to show up to perform to a certain degree of your potential, right? If Matt Dunn, you know, is known to be able to hold his matchups and, and play to a certain level, like, you're expected of that, like um, Bryce and Tim expect that of you so that they can do their job, right? And be comfortable in their role. Um, and I think that really separates some of the good players from the great players and some of the great players from the absolute best is, you know, that consistency. A guy like Tom Brady throughout the season, right? Like he's, there's one game, he, I don't know, had no touchdowns. People are talking about it. Tom Brady's falling off the cliff, all this shit. Lo and behold, this season comes around, the end of the season, he's in the Super Bowl again because it's just yeah. that constant like chipping away no matter what people say and and having that confidence right that you develop over time um to know that you you still have the chance to put the work in and that the work can prove itself on the field no matter what so um yeah it's no, 100%. Uh, it's interesting though like i think the way that people you know sort of frame it in their heads um, and get caught up in in this stuff and i know you know you guys don't do that which is again why you're fucking difficult to play against um how is that for you as a coach now right talk about um becoming more of a full-time player working with mm -hmm. fcl fcl defense what are some of the key components to you um that you kind of translate to the next generation both technically right as someone that's teaching the game but also within that mindset and the scope of 
what you've been able to learn um, up until this point in your career. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a really interesting, fun journey for me. Um, I think I, I have, I have a long way to go in my, you, you know, I think my playing career is I hopefully still have ways to go. Um, but it's more on the back, the, the last kind of segment of development. I think I have a long way to go in the coaching piece. Um, and I try to just learn as much, I try to learn as much as I can from, you know, other coaches that do it well at the division one level and lacrosse and other sports. Cause, um, there's so many guys that have developed this gift for communicating with players. Um, and, and I like to think that I've developed, you know, I've developed a good knowledge based on what to do. Um, and, and I've implemented my own game. That's a whole nother level to be able to break that down into understandable pieces and how to teach and how to structure it. That is well absorbed amongst players. And not only once you get the technical piece there, but actually relating to players to make them want to buy in and learn it. Um, and I think that's a, a skill that now trying to do it more. I just realized that coaches that do that well, it, it's such a gift. Um, and it's really hard to do that. And so I, I've been trying to develop that piece. Um, from a technical standpoint, I think your question was, what, what was it? Uh, what do you try to? Yeah, what's the differentiator for Matt Dunn now as someone of your caliber? How are you able to teach on the technical side? And, and what really you know separates you from everyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for me, I was never, and I, w- I had, I guess some raw athletic ability, but I wasn't athletic enough or skilled enough to go. I didn't, you didn't roll the ball and recognize me as this, this guy that was going to be dominant on the field. I had, to, I learned a lot and I felt like I tried to learn a lot on how to get better. Um, and that happened a little bit in high school, a lot in college from my coaches and players I played with. And so um, for me, it's the ability to teach guys. The hope is to teach any player ways to get better that they can actually do, right? You can't just teach guys to be 6'3", 225 and move well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always something, a little thing that can be taught to make you a better player. And so for me, it's finding that and it might be different for each guy. I always think there's something in just understanding like regular fundamentals on understanding who you're covering and the best way to make their job difficult. And usually there's some fundamental truth to it. So using your stick to your the fullest advantage, right? No matter who you're covering, you want it, you have the stick, you want to use it to the best of your ability to make their life difficult. So that might be a little different for different spots of the field and different guys, but generally it involves being able to play with your stick out in front while you can kind of separate your footwork and your hips from that, right? And then next is like, okay, how can we ensure that we are giving up the lowest quality shot or opportunity? Um, usually that involves with starts with an approach angle to the ball, but then proper footwork afterwards. So how do we train guys to understand how to take those proper steps? Um, and as you get into higher level guys, you can get more granular and more detailed in exactly how you teach that. But for some guys, it's just understanding that it's amazing how not, not amazing, but it's just, you see it so consistently where guys, um, their first step on a move is, is at the guy or, or it's that lunge step. And it's very like the classic thing. They don't lunge at them, but it's very, easy to want to do that as a guy makes a move and that's where so many guys get in trouble where if they could we can kind of just teach to maintain a gap until you kind of understand where the guy's going with your stick and a couple proper footsteps and then close the gap at the right time with a good balance you know position um it will just allow you to be successful in different areas so that that technical piece is just it's really just me trying to take basic concepts that you watch guys at the highest level do really well and a lot of the guys know how to do it 
um, and breaking that down to make it understandable for younger players to have that like aha moment. If I can give a couple of guys just those aha moments of like, I never thought of it that way before I tried it a couple of times and I was actually doing, I didn't get any faster. I didn't get any stronger. I didn't get any bigger, but I'm doing much better covering the ball now because I, the guy, like I'm, I'm tangling guys up with my stick and I'm not like chasing guys because I lunged at them, but I, I kind of started taking a couple drop steps and, and doing the stuff. And now I feel a lot more comfortable in the ball. All right, Matt. Well, that's all I got for you, man. I appreciate it. This has been, been great. Very informative. Um, yeah, man. Very, very to the point, and I, I appreciate that about you. No, I appreciate you having me on. It's always it's always fun talking. Uh, I love talking the the basketball lacrosse translation. I was actually um, I was actually joking this morning with Jay Dyer, and because he was talking about how the Hopkins guys have been lifting a little bit in the fencing room at mm-hmm. Hopkins, and I was thinking about how fencing works, and I think there might be a fencing to defensive footwork and lacrosse translation as well. So that might be the next big crossover there. I mean, you keep, what do you call it? There's, there's two types of names for the, the Sabres, right? Um, I don't know. Keep it out, yeah, yeah. Keep it out in front, but it's that drop. It's back. like a poke. It's like a poke. Yeah. It's a poke check drop step. And you just one time use a stick and one time use a sword. I think it's like a Deemer made an a, a analogy about um, a t- tag playing tag. I feel like that's probably similar where like you're going to get someone then you're kind of, well, yeah, you, you close the gap on them. They start attacking you and dodging at you. Well, you got to keep your, your sword out in front so they don't touch you, but you keep drop step and do it. I think yeah. it's the perfect the perfect translation. Well, Dunn's playing uh, or fencing, not playing, but fencing in, in 2021. Keep an eye out for it. Yeah, check out for the fencing posts. All right, buddy. I will, uh, right, I'll talk to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. See you, yep. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode of Unbuckled. As always, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. I appreciate that, guys. You can go ahead and follow Matt on Instagram at Matt underscore Dunn 33. Also, give him a follow over on at his company, FCL Defense. I appreciate you guys tuning in, and I will catch you guys next time as we head into another episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. Mm.